got some anticipation in some eyes. I'm just like wondering what's coming next. I, I, I'm not sure if I... Yeah, eager. Cool. Okay, good. I, want, I almost wanted to know what that was because, oh, what's going on here? Uh, no, it's all good. I hope. Here we go. We'll see what happens. It's always the case, isn't it? Have you ever baked a cake? Crowd response is always good. Crowd, have we ever baked a cake or tried out a new recipe before? Even I've done that. How did it go? Pretty good? Generally pretty good? Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn. Other Lynn. <laughs> Sometimes there's some disasters. And the next question was, was it a success? Was it a failure? Regardless of it being a failure, maybe did you eat it regardless because you put all that time and effort into it? Or was it... You ate it, ate it anyway? Yeah, it's true. Sometimes presentation isn't everything. That's a, that's a completely different sermon. Presentation isn't always everything. And, but sometimes it's a complete write-off as well, isn't it? Yep, okay. I'm going to tell you about one of those stories. All right. I don't even remember why or for what occasion. And when I mentioned this story to Karen, she's like, why on earth would you share this? This was for, but all I remember is this incident with chocolate mousse. Who likes chocolate mousse? Do we like chocolate? Yeah, no, I saw a very quick hand go up, Brandon. I saw a little hand go up there as well. I do. Um, but it was while Karen and I were still living in Adelaide, back before we went off to college and stuff, we were living in Parafield Gardens, and it's where we built our marital home. Yay, we got married. Before college and all that stuff had happened. But we were making this large amount. There's some fazy stuff there. I can't remember it all. But there was this huge amount of chocolate mousse that we were making for some reason. You, you can't remember what it was for, can you? Total noobs, very early, young married. Okay, so we were trying new stuff and thought, hey, chocolate mousse will be great. And for some reason, we were making lots of it. Past knowing what we were making, I only remember the outcome, and it was. It was a complete and utter disaster. Chocolate mousse should get all fluffy and light. When you dig that spoon into it, you should be able to turn that spoon, right? You should be able to turn that spoon and... Little to nothing should drop off it. it. It's not a drink. It's a food. Yep, yep, that sounds like a sign of a good mousse. I'm at least getting some agreements. I know maybe from learning from failures. I haven't made mousse since. Little note there. Karen has. <laughs> but that wasn't the case with this mousse, as I've already alluded to, because we knew without even putting that spoon in this mousse, or not mousse, that something was very wrong with what should have been mousse. It was just this large bowl of brown liquid that showed absolutely no sign of thickening up whatsoever. And I'm not sure why we couldn't dispose of it better, but I just remember, and this is probably the brain of Aaron and the infinite wisdom, <laughs> not, that he has in the moment, feeling that the only option to dispose of this gunk was to pour it over the back fence. Let me just put a caveat out there. There were absolutely no neighbours. It was a back fence onto open land of weeds that quite often we dealt with. But it was out of sight, out of mind, needed to deal with it quickly. I don't know why that's what happened. Promise no animals or children or humans got hurt in this story. But I had to get rid of it. And that's how it happened. <laughs> I pre That's how bad the moose was. Brain wasn't even functioning anymore. I appreciate a good chocolate mousse. And my dad would say that he's a connoisseur of all things chocolate mousse, if you asked him. And we'll quite often judge. I remember going to timeless times, going to restaurants and different places. And you'd see the mousse. And I'm like, Dad, you're getting the mousse, right? And he goes, yeah, I am. 
And I'm like, all right, here we go. And you'd sit there almost judging it like a master chef, like giving it the Iron Chef review, like, oh, this is right, this is wrong, this could be better, a pinch of salt here or whatever. Like, who made you the be-all and end-all of moose? He was usually quite accurate. It usually tasted good if he said it did, but it's chocolate mousse. But it shouldn't be a milkshake, right? We know that for sure. Created with the hopes that it would turn out well and be enjoyed by all who had some, whether it was just me and Karen deciding we want heaps of moose, there was no way at all of saving this thing, and so I got rid of it. I did what I needed to do, (laughs) so I thought. Every intention was that this moose would turn out, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work out, so it was time to start over. I think we still made a moose, right? Oh, who knows, whatever. We'll move on. So we're looking at Genesis chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse 8 this morning, going through the verse 17. All right, here we go. All right. Then God said, because we're talking about God speaks, right? So we're looking out for these little parts where it says God said, and he said, and all that stuff. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, every, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant, my promise with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. There's another word to catch on to, for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. He says this a few times, doesn't he? Got to listen to the repeats. Remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said, So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. If you know the flood story, even vaguely, even the Sunday school version, which is lovely and all, whose mind kind of goes on this big wave of highs and lows through the flood story, almost like waves all over the place. Because if you read and start to think about the different parts of this story, it actually becomes a little bit of a roller coaster with all the themes and stuff going on in it. First, there is ultimate corruption. Who got taught that in Sunday school? Probably not. It was like cute little animals coming in couples, getting on a boat. Everyone saved. Yay! Hooray. It was good. It was a part of the story and an important part. But first, there is actually ultimate corruption. And then we move from ultimate corruption to ultimate destruction. And past ultimate destruction, then there is, I was going to say ultimate again, but really it's eternal, eternal promise, eternal promise. So we move from complete corruption 
to complete destruction, and then we go into a complete promise, complete covenant. Despite it being this up and down roller coaster of events, it's kind of cute that it's symbolized with a flood with waves that are all over the place. Stay with me. There is so much good in this story for us. And I'll start with something that we've actually talked on before. So if you've ever been here before, if you haven't heard this, there's, there's two options really. You either weren't listening, <laughs> we all have that moment, or you're about to hear it now. So it's all good, right? Because we hear it right now. Water in the Bible is often symbolically and or metaphorically used to represent this thing called chaos. They use lots of different things to depict other things. So water is very commonly used to represent chaos. And here at the peak of chaos, we talked about ultimate corruption, right? And humankind's separation from God, God uses water. Chaos, we can relate to sin and all sorts of things which God separates himself from, remember. But God uses this symbol for chaos. God uses water, a symbol of what was commonly known as a disharmonious thing. A symbol of disharmony. God uses that very thing to show his total authority over all chaos. Because God was in control. God was in control over the waters. He was in control over the chaos that was happening to bring about new creation. This is a recreation story. Essentially, God recreates using the very symbol for chaos, which was water, in the form of a flood, very practical means, to bring about a fresh start for the earth that he created. And doing that, he also shows us that he is God over all chaos. Just hold that message for yourselves today, if nothing else. God is in control over all our chaos. Why does he do this, though? Why does our God do this though? Because it can seem like a lot of it can seem like a lot to totally destroy the earth that he created. Why? Because God exists to see restoration and God exists to see redemption. It is in God's actual very nature to save. But from our human side, we need to understand that we exist with that word choice, and we've mentioned that for a few weeks running, that we exist with this word choice. We all have that. It's that free will stuff that was mentioned two weeks ago, and often our choices will take us in many different directions, and so many times, unfortunately, they'll take us in a complete opposite direction to where God is leading us. It can be very small. Our God, though, is the God of all things. And he stands in the position of ultimate, here's that ultimate word again, ultimate authority. He's omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He is almighty. And on top of all that, though, he is also just. He is also merciful. And he is also full of grace for each and every one of us. But just remember, and this, we may miss this sometimes. Sounds weird to say, but he actually opposes Two sides of a fence, he opposes evil. God has no place for evil. He stands as the judge over all things because who was the one who created them? He did. They wouldn't have existed if God hadn't created them in the first place. Because he created all things and with that, he holds the ultimate authority to dispel and defeat all evil as well. 
Because what he created, if we read very early on in Genesis, he made this and he made that and he made this and it was good. It was good. It was done. It was good. God's judgment by its very nature destroys and defeats evil. He doesn't hold that characteristic whatsoever. That is why we know our victory is sealed in Christ. How? We choose to believe in the salvation offered to us as Jesus gave up his life. This is another sacrifice story. To bring about a means of restoration yet again for the earth, for each and every person. At that point, he could have wiped the whole earth and started again, again. He could have done another total wipe and just started again with... I don't know, one of the disciples that seemed to be righteous and holier than the rest of them. But God held to his eternal promise. God kept his promises, because he doesn't lie. And instead, because of his desire for relationship and restoration of that relationship with us, he actually instead came in human form to provide for us our means for salvation and in a very practical way that we could understand. The flood came as a means to dispel evil that had taken over like an absolute virus, infecting the very hearts and every thought of humankind at that time. They were completely lost in it. It says their minds were just absorbed by it. Which brings us to the covenant, the promise, the sealing of the newly restored relationship promise between God and all God's creatures. Quick note, This is entirely God's doing, and I say that purposefully. God chose these steps for it, what was going to happen next. God chooses to enter into an eternal covenant with all creation without requiring anything in return. We we read the story. We read the scripture. Noah didn't say, God, make a promise you're not going to do this again. I don't want to build another boat. Fairly safe to say you wouldn't want to. That would have been a mammoth effort. But God chose to do this without requiring anything in that moment of making that promise in return. And God does this whilst being fully aware that, and we look in chapter 8, one chapter back from chapter 9 that we looked at today, in verse 21, it says, the inclination, so like the very thing they were moving towards as people, the very inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. It's how bad it had got. There was nothing but that going on. Somehow Noah was deemed righteous and faithful. Somehow. But the very inclination of the human heart was evil. The flood didn't cleanse the human heart of sin altogether either. It didn't fully get rid of that inclination. And that is clear because when we read further into Scripture and just look at the world around us, we can see that evil still exists. But God knows this. And regardless, God enters into covenant. God enters into and makes a promise with us. Actually, not with us. He makes it to us. Not with us. And in that way, to us anyway. Make sense? Yeah. God's choice. For us. How many promises have you made like that? That completely gives up a part of yourself just for the sake of someone else? Not many. There's usually a little bit of bartering off or something in it for you. That's not the case here. 
just maybe the divine heart of God that was so wounded by the collapse of his creation into wickedness that brought about the flood, maybe it is now so moved again by that same grief that God seeks another way to get through to us, another way to restore relationship with us. So God promises to Noah and to his descendants, who's part of that descendant? We are. We are all a part of those descendants. So he's making that promise to us all the way back then, as well as to every creature on the earth as well, that he will never again destroy all creation in that way. And here's where things get really interesting when we actually dig into the meaning of the moments in the Bible and start to unpack it for ourselves now. I found this really intriguing, so we'll see if anyone else does. (laughs) What was the sign God gave to seal his promise? A rainbow. Exactly. He used a rainbow. We still see them, right? Yeah. I'm not imagining them. Good. The sign of this covenant is a rainbow. Essentially, God places his bow, a bow in the clouds, precisely symbolizing, and we're talking for a time, a bow represented the bow of battle, this idea of kingliness and all that stuff. There are even ancient illustrations of different deities and gods in different mythologies and all sorts being armed with bows and arrows, right? It is a symbolic thing for the time. And it's still a message for us now when we unpack it. It's not an unusual thing at all. And so here we have God hanging his bow in the sky for all to see. And this is a big deal. Because it's not just a pretty thing in the sky after the rain, as much as it really is quite beautiful. It is more than that. God is actually speaking to the world he created every time a rainbow appears. For God to hang up his bow our heavenly divine leader, our king, our Lord, for him to hang up his bow is essentially in this idea of symbolism to retire from that battle, right? He's hung his bow in the sky. He has retired from that battle. That bow we see in the clouds is the sign of God's promise that whatever else, whatever else God does to seek our restoration, the global destruction in this way, is off the table. His bow is hung. Everything God has done, everything God is doing and will do comes out of his love for us and a deep, deep desire, in fact, the deepest longing to be in relationship with each and every one of us. That is the battle he will never stop fighting. And I just come to think about those different times. I've seen some videos lately where They'll have their youngest child who's just learnt how to walk and the three siblings are sitting in front of them and they'll all get to like cheer or wave or like try and get their attention and they'll see which one the little child goes to. It's a bit of a fun experiment to see which one loves them most, which one they love the most. God, God sits in that position of accepting each and every one of us. Like he, he's going to take up all of those opportunities. God, God isn't running for one, he's running for all. He is running for all. He will fight that battle for us each and every day. That is why an implication of this promise is that God will try everything else. Everything else. It is really a blessing in this promise that God will try everything else. God will seek us and seek us and seek us 
and seek us, and I could go on, despite or perhaps because of his knowledge of every sin, every grief, and every shame that hides our visions, our vision of God's great love and care for us. The toy with light and dark, we all have it in our lives. Things that try and get in the way. But God sees all that. And he wants to see our vision come back to him. And regardless of wherever we're positioned in that moment, however far away we're turned, he loves us anyway. I'm going to ask you to remember something simple, although there's been a few things in there that I've said, hold on to that. There's just so much good stuff in the Bible. Have you ever discovered that? Yeah? Good. (laughs) These words, God never lies. So we can trust his word. God never lies. Hold that thought. Know it. Trust it. God never lies. What we see and hear in today's scripture is God making covenant, making promise with Noah for all generations to never bring about global destruction in the form of a flood. I think he uses a flood because of that water analogy, which represents chaos, which can mean something to us today now. If we stop there, though, we are missing some very key details. By God making covenant with Noah, in fact, with all of humankind, what God does is God commits himself to be bound to humanity. He surrenders in this promise some of his own divine power and this right to destroy as a means of judgment over his people. God can do what he wants. He created us. But his character is good. By hanging his bow, God is saying, I am your creator, but I am also your protector. By God attaching himself to us, the same God who has authority to do whatever he wishes to his creation, nothing existed before him, God shows his ultimate investment into the relationship he wants with each and every one of us. He doesn't have to meet us on any level whatsoever. He is God. But he chooses to because with our God, have that language for yourself, he is our God. What happens to us is of divine concern, of divine importance. And I don't want to graze over in any way that really important detail from earlier where it said, God said to Noah in verse 17, this is the sign of the covenant I, I have established between me and all, all life on the earth. God solely made this promise to us himself. The promise was not a decision made amongst friends or between a committee. It was a decision made by our all-powerful, our omnipotent, our omniscient, he's everywhere, all-knowing God, to supply, to apply, sorry, a limit to how restoration of relationship with us would play out in the future. It was human betrayal from harmony with God that led to God's divine response of the flood. We must know that our sin does have consequences. We can't just keep going on our merry way and expect everything to be peachy. God gave us choice and free will, and we can't expect God to look over our sin if we are choosing to continue in them. Because our Lord doesn't associate with evil. He doesn't associate with sin. That in a sense, is why God chose Noah in that moment. Even though there was an inclination, he was still faithful, he was still righteous. In chapter 6, when we look earlier in the book again, because it all leads up to 
this covenant. Noah is credited as being that only righteous and blameless man of his time. And then a few verses later in verse, I think it's about 12, it is made clear that all the people, all, again, he uses this word all purposefully, all the people on earth had corrupted their ways, except Noah. So God accepts hurt as he dispels evil. God didn't want to do this. But he accepts hurt as he dispels evil so that hope could be kept alive. Now last week, hi Karen, you spoke about the change that comes when an adult becomes a parent. You remember that? Yeah, cool. The feeling that your life has become somewhat secondary to your child seems to take some sense of power away from you at times. It's all about them. But the responsibility is actually what was kind of talked about that simply shifts the nature of that, that, that power in that relationship. Any genuine relationship involves sacrifice, right? And here God shows an early sign of his willingness to sacrifice for his creation. And it's a message that does then carry through because we know what Christ did for us. So as we invest in our children's lives, or if you've seen people invest in their children's lives to see them grow, promising to care and to look after them, God promises investment into our lives as well. His divine position is still in full effect. He's still God overall. But the relationship exists for growth together, mutual growth. God is speaking to us all the time, and one of those means is signs and symbols. And they are a part of his language set. Does it surprise you at all that the rainbow, God's covenant symbol, comes after the rain? It actually makes sense. His promise back to Noah for all generations past Noah was to never flood the whole earth again. And he took that option away from himself because he as the right as our creator to seek harmony of relationship between his creation, us and himself in whatever way he sees as necessary. Not as an act of treachery, but as an act of justice a God that loves us because, and there's four points here, God is overall chaos. We see that when he used the water, the ancient symbol of chaos to bring about restoration. God is bigger than any amount of chaos in our lives. God is actually about creation and recreation. He didn't start again. He commended Noah for his righteousness and grieved the evil that had taken place over the rest of creation. But it wasn't a full clean slate and start with another Adam and Eve. He used a part of his creation that was good. God is about redemption because it was he that chose to make covenant with us. God made it clear that he was willing to do whatever it takes to help us find harmony together. And I say takes instead of took because this promise is for all forever God is prepared to sacrifice for us God gave up some divine presence in a sense and choice when he said verse 15 never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life God essentially sacrificed as a means of meeting us in our humanity but ultimately he sacrificed for us all when he sent his son Jesus we're coming through the Lent season now, that journey towards the cross. 
He sent a very real part of himself, of the actual Godhead, to give up his life for each and every one of us. And I was thinking about the repeating nature of messages in the Bible and how certain truths and promises and things just keep drawing back to the same message. I think that provides strength to our word, doesn't it? If it just kept going off on tangents with like, what, is, what are we meant to believe? But the fact is God is love. God wants to restore relationship with us and we have a choice. And we could sit here and get bored or complacent hearing those same truths come out through the Bible time and time again or we could actually make a choice to hear from God who is speaking through his word, through signs like a rainbow, all sorts of things, through different people. It's actually time to move past, I'm going to say our immature stage of simply hearing Bible stories and start listening to the facts and truths within God's word for ourselves. We can hear, but are we listening? It's a choice to spiritually grow up. The fact that the truths are consistent throughout the Bible and throughout the generations only goes to show one thing, and that is that the God at the center of all of this, in the center of the Bible, over this earth, our creator, our lives is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. It's not a cliche line. We throw it out there sometimes, but it's not a cliche line. It's another repeatable truth. It's another repeatable truth. God does not falter despite having all the right to do exactly what he wants with us, with creation, whatever. But he chooses to deliver us, to deliver us like he delivered Noah, like he delivered David and the Israelites time and time again, like he delivered anyone, anyone, all, who chooses to get more mature about their faith and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died on the cross to make way for us to have personal and intimate relationship with him. We can be a part of this story in the very first book of our Bibles, Genesis, which is a story actually about deliverance and about new beginnings, about new creation. God doesn't put his thumb down on us. This isn't a dictatorship under God. He doesn't put his thumb down on us and force us to worship him. He doesn't manipulate our hearts to move into praise because he allows us choice. We have that free will. The catch is that the covenant made by God with all people came as a result of obedience and a willingness to follow God's leading. And this is kind of blew me away in a sense because we, 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 again, so many times I've heard this flood story, it's been like Sunday school understanding. It kind of happened, people were saved, and then we carried on. But this idea that there had to be this sense of obedience as well in this, in this moment. The covenant came after Noah was instructed by God, before all the flood and before the promise, to do something to lead to his own saving. Noah was instructed by God to do something to lead to his own saving. Are we hearing that for ourselves? Noah built the ark. What arcs are we being asked to build? Which got him through the chaos that was going to be all around him. And there was chaos around him even when he was building that ark. Who are we building our arcs for? 
what are we filling our ark with? Whose voice are we listening out for and following? Now, we can actually thank Noah today for his obedience and faith as his example, but more so let's be getting real as mature people in our faith, as adults in our faith. That's where we're moving towards, I hope. Let's get mature with God and thank him for his sacrificial covenant, which delivers us and provides us a means for salvation and redemption. He takes all of our struggle and provides us with peace when we acknowledge his love for us through all things, good and bad, because he is the same God now as he was back then. You heard your children then, you hear your children now. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then and you will answer now. You are the same God. You were providing then, you are providing now. You are the same God. You moved in power then, move in power now. You are the same God. You were a healer then, you are a healer now. You are the same God. You were a saviour then, you are a saviour now, you are the same God. We need him. We need him. We can and should rely on him. But we have the choice to give ourselves wholly over to him. Yesterday was the day for that, in my opinion. I would hope that everyone's already there, but we know they're not. But today can be that day to step past our infant walk of faith into a more mature faith and get serious about where we place God over our lives. It's time to lean in. It's time to lean in and listen to the voice of God within our lives because he is speaking even through signs like the rainbow. And it's up to us to choose to hear and take a step of faith. One step. See, action. Step. A step of faith towards new life with God, I implore you, don't choose the waters of a life of chaos. It's not good for anyone. Choose deliverance and choose new life that comes by accepting Christ as your Lord today. God is never going to give up on you. God will never give up on me. Amen. But we have to listen and make a choice for our lives. Our praise and worship and character day-to-day will only reflect Christ's when we truly accept him and live to know him more and more. God loves you. God loves every single one of you. And the joy in that is he will never stop loving you. Salvation is freely yours today if you choose to accept it.